0: and welcome to Ancient Ways for Modern Days. My name is Mike Freeman. I am the pastor of Valley Christian Fellowship in Longview, Washington. And I'm so excited to have you join us as we continue in a journey we really just started yesterday. and as a journey of devotionally thinking through the entirety of the New Testament every single weekday. And so this devotional, it follows Valley's reading plan over the course of the year and the New Testament section in particular. And so today we're picking up where we left off yesterday with Matthew chapter two, and with Matthew Matthew chapter one, we uh, by way of review we saw the genealogy of Jesus, we saw his birth, and now as we get into the chapter two, what we're going to see is we're going to see the wise men come from afar to come and worship him, to uh, to honor him, to bring him the the honor that he's due, and uh, and we also see the contrast with Herod, who even though these um, these pagan, uh, religiously far from God people, even though they can see the celestial star and recognize the significance of what, um, at least a God in their mind is doing. You see Herod, the King of the Jews, he, he's so blinded by envy. He can't do that at all. He can't come and, and worship this one true King. He actually has the opposite response and so in chapter two of Matthew, Herod, he tries to find this newborn king so that he can take out his rival. And uh, and so what you have then is you have the flight of Jesus's family to Egypt. You have the killing of all of the male children under two years old at the command of Herod in the region of Bethlehem. And then in time after Herod's death, you have the return to Galilee and specifically to the city of Nazareth. Now, there's a lot of interesting things happening here, but what I would like our time to focus on is on this continued fulfillment motif or this continued fulfillment theme that we saw some of in chapter one. I want us to remember that Matthew, his goal is to prove that Jesus is, in fact, the King of the Jews, the prophesied, long-awaited, long-expected King of the Jews. And so you're going to find, especially in this chapter, uh, this phrase over and over again about fulfillment or about the prophecy being fulfilled. Let me give you a few examples. Verse five, it says, and they told him, where, where is this king born? In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. What does he say? It is written by the prophet. This is a fulfillment of what the prophet wrote. Or verse 15 says, and they remained there until the death of Herod. It says this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Again, there is a fulfillment. Jesus is, he is checking the boxes to demonstrate that he is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. Um, Verse 17 says, and then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And Again, this is fulfillment language. And then finally, and this is the one that I want to spend some time fleshing out a little bit, because this is the one that's a little bit different than the others. Verse 23, it says, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called the Nazarene. Now, this is interesting because, first of all, there is not one singular Old Testament prophecy that directly says that the Messiah is going to be a Nazarene. And so this leaves us scratching our head a little bit like, what prophecy is this actually talking about? And then the second thing is all of the other ones we just read, it says that a prophet spoke something or a prophet wrote something, but here it uses the plural. It says this was spoken by the prophets. And so we, we have to ask ourselves, what is, what's really going on here? And so what we end up thinking is going on here is, first of all, because there's not a direct prophecy in the Old Testament scripture, we see this as an illusion. And because secondly, the plural is used, we understand that this this is probably Matthew connecting the dots between what multiple prophets have alluded to or have spoken to something similar to, and he's seeing these connections. He's connecting these dots. And so what are some of these dots that are, are, need to be connected? Well, first of all, the, the dot that this word Nazareth, it is very similar to a, a word in Hebrew, which is, uh, Nazare or nazer or that 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 kind of sound. And, and so that sound, nazer, is actually used in, in this title of Christ in specific places, such as, this is actually a text that we covered a number of weeks ago in our sermon series on titles of Jesus from uh, from Isaiah, but Isaiah 11.1. 1, it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots and it shall bear fruit. Now, this word, it sounds very similar. This word for branch in the Hebrew language sounds very similar to the word Nazar, Nazarene, right? And then there's other passages that don't use the same word, but, but they connect the same idea, the same kind of theme. You know, passages like Jeremiah 23, 5. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And so this is this expect, expectation of a branch, which is the Messiah, that is similar to that same term of Nazar. Again, another one, Jeremiah 33 verse 15, 10 chapters later says, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, it's interesting that this passage comes right on the heels of Jeremiah 31 uh, where you, you have Rachel weeping and Rachel mourning because of, because of the loss of children, right? Which Matthew just quoted a few verses prior. And so you, you have all these layered in together. And so when we look at this, this fulfillment motif, especially in verse 23, where it says, this is to fulfill what the prophet said, that he shall be called a Nazarene, The very first thing happening here is we we are connecting the dots between Jesus as the Messiah, who is going to be the branch of David. This is messianic fulfillment. The other thing, though, is, is remember Nazareth. It was, uh, kind of a podunk town on the outskirts of nowhere. This is not the, the central place for the known world at the time. This is more, uh, like a kind of a hole in the wall area. This is not the, the vacation destination that you would want to go to. And so this connects to another theme about Jesus, how Jesus would not have externals that would be impressive. His his upbringing, his roots would not be the most impressive. In fact, if you remember in John chapter one, when Nathaniel is hearing about this potential Messiah, Jesus, remember what he says when he hears where, hears where Jesus comes from. He says, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, well, come and see, come check it out for yourself, right? And so basically this, this puts an emphasis on the externals of Jesus and his externals being rather unimpressive. This is, again, connected to the Old Testament scriptures. uh, Again, connected to the Old Testament scriptures about Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 53, 2 says, For he grew up before him like a young plant. Again, you think about that branch, plant, root, shoot, all of those terms, all of this same imagery being brought to our mind. It says, He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground a root out of dry ground. This is not an image of something impressive. It continues. It says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And you see ultimately what this is saying is, is the Messiah there's not this externals about him that make you makes you take one look at him and say, "Oh man, that has got to be the Messiah." Instead, the externals are rather unimpressive. And so ultimately we we don't have a precise understanding, but generally speaking, what we see is that this messianic promise is connected to humble beginnings, and it's connected to being a branch out of Jesse and out of David, out of this messianic family. Uh, questions like this, like, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, there, there's an answer to that. The answer is yes, the Nazar, the shoot, the branch of Jesse, the Messiah is he is a Nazarene. That's that's what this text is showing us here. It's it's pretty amazing. And so we look at that and we say, okay, well, what are our takeaways then? Well, takeaways are, first of all, the continued fulfillment theme. Matthew's just going to, he's going to beat this drum the whole way. Jesus is the fulfillment of the King that has been long awaited by the Jewish people. This also emphasizes the early struggle and the unimpressive externals of Jesus. He he wasn't wearing the gold rings and the the gold chain. He didn't have the nicest clothing. He he was average, ordinary, uh, likely from unimpressive beginnings, but but that wasn't what mattered. What mattered is his identity as the sinless son of God. And then I think this actually, if we take it a little bit further, I think that we can contrast that with, with the glory of heaven that he left. I mean, think about this. Jesus comes to this, ends up in this town, Nazareth. But where did he come from? Bethlehem? Egypt? No, no, no. Jesus came from the glories of heaven. Jesus left the glories of heaven and the perfect harmony of his relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. He left all of that to come on this mission, this mission of love to save you and I. And so I would say when we, when we think about this, this should elicit a certain response in us, a response of amazement. And this amazement really should lead us to a, a sense, not just of amazement, not of just of awe and worship, but really of of gratitude. Now I think this text reminds us that we should be grateful for Christ, for his early years, for the struggle of his early years as a precursor, reminding us of his struggle on the cross. This is this is meant to remind us of his great love and his great sacrifice. And so as we close today, will you be amazed at Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross? Yes, but even backing up to his willingness to come in the flesh, in his incarnation, willing to to be that, that uh unimpressive externally person who ultimately is the most impressive because of what he's accomplished for us through his perfection, his, his sacrifice, and then his resurrection.